0: Well, this morning we are beginning a new series uh, based upon the Apostles' Creed. And this is, uh, this is a new thing for me, for sure. I've not ever preached a series like this. And I'm not sure if we've, if we've done this particular creed and worked through it as a church before. I uh, should have asked you that ahead of time, Howard. I know you've done many doctrinal series over the years. And, and so some of you, I realize, are very familiar with this ancient creed. Uh, uh, many of you, not so much, and, and that's that's fine. Whatever you, whatever your acquaintance is with this creed, that is, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but there are church. Most churches generally take one of two kind of positions when it comes to uh, the historic creeds, confessions of the church. Um, the the either the Apostles' Creed or uh, another historic creed is recited regularly, maybe even weekly, as part of the worship service. Um, or it's really not read very often in the assembly. And we've, that's where we have been as a church, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no moral uh, ground that's gained by reciting anything more often or anything like that. But that's been our history. And so I'm just curious, and so don't be embarrassed. You can just we, I know we all, in Bible churches, people come from different church backgrounds. How many of you, please raise your hand, if you have been, if you've been part of a church in your past where the Apostles' Creed in particular was was recited weekly or at least really often. Okay, I'm putting mine down because I have not been. All right, good. Thank you, thank you. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, probably the, the more than 50% of the congregation have at least been a part of churches. And so some of you can say the Apostles' Creed in your sleep because you've recited it so many times and you come from maybe a little more I don't know, liturgical church background. Some of you are familiar with it, uh, but you can't recite it word for word. Uh, some of you... There are probably some who are a little bit suspicious of when we're talking about creeds and confessions. Uh, maybe you're even a little nervous about this series and thinking, what are they letting him do? Uh, um, so so you might come from, so some come from uh, uh, traditions and church backgrounds where it's recited often. Others of you may come from kind of anti-creedal uh, church backgrounds. And so maybe this was uh, an expression that you heard often, no creed but christ no book but the bible so maybe that's kind of ingrained in your psyche when it comes to thinking about something like this this apostles creed others of you maybe have never heard it never read it never heard it read never even heard of it perhaps until now and again don't worry a lack of familiarity with the apostles creed is not a capital offense there's no church discipline coming your way or anything like that. And so I, I do hope as we go through this series uh, that we will, we will all better know, appreciate, and, and gladly affirm this creed as a solid expression of what we believe as Christians. And that's, that's my hope. And so I challenge you if you've not already done so, and those 50% that have their hands raised probably can check this off, but if you've not uh, already, if you don't know the creed by memory, I would encourage you to just take, we put the copies in every seat, and so just, just uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good way. So if somebody comes and asks you, what do you believe? I don't mean you quote it, but you have this handy summation of what you believe as a Christian. And so uh, I would encourage you to stick in your Bible and and begin learning it and, and reading it as Christians have for 1,500, uh, 1,600 years now. And so we're basically going to be working line by line through this creed uh, for about 12 weeks. And we'll have missions conference in there. And, uh, and so there will be a break, but we're not, we're not preaching the creed per se, so I'm not, uh, it's not creedal exposition or something like that, but we're using the creed as a framework to preach the Bible, and the Bible is the authority, and, and that's what our focus is going to be on, but we're using the creed, and we want to learn uh, about this important historic confession of faith. So this morning, we're just introducing it, and we're going to look at the very first two words, I believe, that's going to be all we do, and then we're going to come and worship at the table together um, in, in just a little bit. So first, what is it? What is the Apostles' Creed? Well, the word creed itself, let's just start there. Creed is a Latin word, it comes from a Latin word, credo, just means I believe. And so this is a statement of beliefs. Creeds or confessions, confession of faith. They're, they're attempts to, to uh, summarize, systematize essential core Christian teachings. Uh, what christians believe this is our credo this is what we hold to as truths of scripture and the apostles creed is the oldest of these summaries there are many others we there's three sometimes they recognize four ecumenical creeds which are kind of the most general creeds that are accepted by all christians and all kind of uh, categories of christianity And then there are many other creeds and confessions going up into present day. But the Apostles' Creed is the oldest of these summaries that's still in wide use today. And so it's unique in that way. A few quick facts about the Apostles' Creed. One, as I already said, it's old. It's very old. Uh, The form that we have in front of us here, I realize it's been translated into English, but that that basic form, most agree, it dates back to probably the 4th century. And so we're talking... 1600 years old and so it's very very old in a a shorter simpler form that predated the the way we have it now but there was a there's a reduced form that probably goes back to the second century and so all that to say this creed has been affirmed by believers around the world now spanning millennia that's that's remarkable second it's not written by the apostles. As you kind of did the math there on those dates, you probably can figure that out. Uh, we call it the Apostles' Creed, not because they're the ones who wrote it, but because it, it provides a good summary of what the apostles taught. It is, it is, it, its roots go into New Testament apostolic teaching. And so that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. It's third, it's brief. It's very brief. It's just 110 words in our English form that's in front of you uh, there, right, uh, in your chair there. And so you compare that, for instance, just by comparison to our, our church's doctrinal statement. And the Apostles' Creed is about, it contains about 4% of the words that we have in our doctrinal statement. I just did a word count and on my computer, so I didn't count them up, don't worry. Uh, so it's brief. Uh, fourth, it's broad. It's broad. It begins with creation and it ends with eternal life. And so that's a, that's a lot of ground to cover in 110 words. And so it's brief, but it's broad. Fifth, it's purposeful. Uh, it's purposeful. And it's, in its earliest forms, in its infancy, before we kind of have the longer form that we have now, the 110 word form, it was first used at baptisms so in, in baptisms, so we, we do a version of this. You might ask questions. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And the candidate would say, I do. And, and so there would be this series of questions. That's most likely how it began. But over time, it developed into this more formal, written standard for the church. And, and that development happened for, for a few reasons. As the gospel is spreading, as churches are planning and, and and believers are going out and, 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 and spreading out, it, one, it, it's this way to summarize in a succinct and short and memorable way kind of a central core Christian doctrine. We've stated that already. But another thing it did, it, it was used to refute false teaching. It was to help the church distinguish between truth and error. Does, does Is what's being taught, does it line up with this with this statement. So that was another reason that it kind of took on the, this form that we have today. Another reason, it, w- it was a basis for Christian fellowship. We could say church membership. So who's part of the church? And as the, as the gospel spreading, new converts coming in and, and people are interested in what's going on. And so who's, who's among us? Do you affirm this creed? And this is a kind of a, it's not all that's required, but it's, it's a part of what we're saying. Again, and they didn't have the doctrinals to every church didn't have a doctrinal statement like we do. And so, so, so this was a basis for Christian fellowship. And then last, it helped to ensure consistent sound teaching across all of the churches in different areas. So these, again, young churches, new, new believers and, and, and elders being trained. And so this was just a way to, to help churches, again, make sure they're aligned with sound doctrine. So it's, it was purposeful. It is purposeful. Sixth, two more statements. It's God-centered uh, God said, maybe the one thing that you can clearly see, just the casual look, that it's explicitly Trinitarian. And that's really the framework. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so there's this distinct Trinitarian emphasis throughout uh, the creed. And then last, it's selective. It's selective. It touches on the central issues of the Christian faith, but there is a lot that it obviously passes over. I mean, there's a lot of things it doesn't deal with. It doesn't deal with the authority of Scripture. It doesn't explicitly deal with justification by faith. It doesn't deal with uh, church leadership. It doesn't deal with angels and demons and Satan. And so there's lots of things. It's not comprehensive, but everything it covers is important. Uh, Al Mohler, he's got a book on the Apostles' Creed that I've been reading and benefiting from. He, there's, in the introduction, he says, All Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed, but none can believe less. And so that's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's selective. Uh, maybe the way to think of it is this. Think of it as a map. And so imagine you're about to take a road trip, and you're going to go from Atlanta, Georgia, to uh, Seattle, Washington. So you're going to drive across the country. Ugh, I hear the grimacing. Um, and so I think that sounds exciting. But, uh, so, you, so what do you do? Now it used to be you get out Rand McNally, but now you go to Google Maps. And you, you look... You open your computer you look on your smartphone and 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 you you kind of zoom way out to see to see the whole country and you want to see the basic kind of route that you're going to take to get to seattle washington what are the interstates i'm going to take what cities might i stop at stop at and spend the night on the way um what what sites might i want to see where's the you know the biggest ball of twine i want to make sure i see that and so uh, where you're, so you're looking and kind of planning your route looking at that large zoomed out view But then as you go along you go through a region or, or a state or even a city and you start to zoom in closer You want to see where the upcoming stops are and where the exit's going to be What any interstate exchanges that are coming up and how long is it going to take that we get out of Kansas? And and so you're starting to kind of zoom in a little bit and then And say so you are it's time to exit. It's time to Time to rest, time to eat, and so you, you're going to take an exit in a city, and so you zoom in even closer, and you want to see where the, where the gas station is, or restaurant, or hotel, or, or, or whatever it is. And you might even look at the street view, so you can actually see what, you're, what you need to be looking for. And so the, the Apostles' Creed, so take that image, and the Apostles' Creed is that zoomed out map. It, it's showing the U.S. from coast to coast, as it were. Uh, it gives us this big, basic picture of what Christians believe. That, that, um, now, teenagers, don't try to like, spread your fingers out on this. It's not going to help. You're not going to be able to zoom on, in on it or anything like that. Uh, but but that, that's, that's the idea. And so the most important thing, obviously, is the terrain itself. So when you're taking a trip, you know, you're not looking at a map the whole time. You're looking around and you're seeing what you're passing. And that's the most important thing. Well, the most important thing for us is the terrain of the Bible. What has God spoken to us? And so that's, that's central. That's essential. And so the Bible, this is primary. This is what's really real. But, it, but maps are helpful, aren't they? I mean, maps are, are helpful. They can be very helpful tools. To, so creeds, as maps, can be very helpful tools to navigate the biblical terrain. This is primary, but, but, the, but this creed is, is helpful. helpful. And and it's and it's and it's an and it's accurate like a good map should be, uh, again. But creeds, confessions, doctrinal statements—they're only they're only helpful to the extent that they actually align with the actual terrain. So that's that's the distinction I want to make. So obviously, maps can be wrong. Creeds, confessions, doctrinal statements can be wrong and can mislead us. And and so we we, we, want, we want to study the terrain. We want to use it, look at it, study it more than the map, but these historic creeds are maps that have been refined and tested for centuries. That's the that's the great encouragement. And so they've they've guided many, many Christians and oriented many, many Christians and churches across biblical terrain and giving us that broad, broad view. And so think of it that way. So so those of you maybe you maybe you still you're hard brain hard, hardwired with no creed but the no creed but Christ, no book that but the Bible and maybe the church you grew up in—that was like, that was printed on every church bulletin right across the front, and I've seen that on church bulletins. And so, um, one just say, you—you you really don't live like that. Nobody lives like that. We all live off of a functional creed. Your creed may not be written down. Your creed may not be, you know, what the, the Apostles' Creed. But you—you you have some creed, whether it's written or not whether it's been tested by others or not, whether others have been able to examine it and challenge you or not, you have a functional creed that you're living off of. And so some of our creeds are kind of like hand-drawn maps on McDonald's napkins. And, 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 and so, but, but this is more like a, a Rand McNally kind of map. I mean, this has been, a lot of people have used it. A lot of people have, there's a lot of thought that's gone into editing this and refining it. And so there's much more confidence. Again, it's not this. It's not the Bible. It's not the terrain. But it's a very useful map. It's a very useful guide to help us navigate and get oriented to the big picture of what Christian, Christians believe. Does so that make sense? It's right, so a, a lot of introduction, I realize. But we're, we're going to jump in. Now, originally I intended to make this introduction even longer. And so you can be relieved that's not going to be the case. And so I, I want, I, first I was going to give you several reasons why... Uh, why it's a good thing to study something like the Apostles' Creed, why we should learn it and another historic creeds and confessions, kind of justify um, to you my preaching of this series. And so that's, but I've decided rather than dump all of those reasons in the introduction of this first sermon, I'm going to kind of spread some of those out as we go along, and and we'll bring some of those up as it's appropriate. And and I'm going to share one reason later, but it's going to be part of the, the text and the sermon application. One thing I want to just say, at the outset, outset before we get into Romans ten, is just one how strange it is uh, historically in the two thousand year history of the church that that we could even even think of the question of terms of relevance of a, of a creed like this that we would even ask the question uh, about relevance to to think that a preacher might even feel like that needs to say something to persuade congregation and members of a flock, that this might be relevant to them. That's just it would be utterly nonsensical to the ears of most Christians in in around the world throughout the last two millennia. And and so there there are a number of factors that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks why the question of relevance is is seems so pressing to us today and just factors in our own culture that make us kind of question and, and sort of puts aside historic statements of faith like this. But for now, I just want to be clear and, and just say it and we'll, we'll unfold this in the weeks to come. Christianity is by nature creedal. Christianity is creedal. It is an I believe religion. Credo, I believe. That's what Christianity is. Now, to just to illustrate this and, and kind of brought to the light on a national scene. It, you, if you remember uh, last fall, uh, George H. W. Bush's memorial service, and he died in the end of November. I think the service was in December. It was an Episcopal service uh, in Washington D.C. There, and as is customary in an Episcopal service, the Apostles' Creed was was part of that service. And so, at some point, the the congregation was directed to recite the Apostles' Creed in unison, and it was. Printed in the program and and provided for folks, and so there was a section of presidents and wives, former and past presidents and wives, sitting up there on the front. Jimmy and Ros- Rosalind Carter, and uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Barack and Michelle Obama, uh, Donald and Melania Trump, uh, obviously George W. Bush and Laura were sitting uh, with the family. Um, but when when the time came in the service to say the apostles creed all of the presidents former presidents and wives said it and the trumps if you remember did not and boy did that create a media firestorm you know for the 24-hour news cycle lasted about 18 minutes but uh on social media and the news media they had a field day and so uh it it was there on the program all they had to do was just read it and say it why didn't they say what do they not believe this and so I have no idea and that's not my point I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to speak to that today whether any of those presidents and wives believe it that's an... but what the conversation around that it did, it did bring to the surface was the importance of the first two words of the creed I believe I believe and so I want us to just linger on those and I got four statements to make and we'll, then we'll come and worship at the table together first one is this and we've said it in a sense already. But I believe it stands at the very heart of Christianity. It's very hard. Romans 1, 16. There's so many passages we could look to. Romans 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 10.9 and 10. We read this a moment ago. Salvation comes by believing in the risen Lord Jesus. In the Gospel of John that we studied through not too long ago, over 80 times believing is connected to salvation. John 3.16, God loved the world and gave His Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And so believing, believing is how our new life in Christ begins and believing is how our ongoing life in Christ is lived. The Christians are believing people. It is, an, it is a creedal, I believe, faith. It's not belief in belief. It's not belief in fill-in-the-blank with whatever you want to believe. It, it's not a mad-lib religion where we just, you know, what's the matter? As long as you believe, or believe in Jesus even, that's, that's what, what matters. No, it's more than that. Our belief has an object, Jesus, and, and there are these objective, scriptural, propositional truths that must be affirmed in our believing. We're believing that Jesus is the Christ, the crucified and risen Son of God, Savior of the world. We, we have to affirm those truths. and so, so the Christian life, it's a life of faith in its beginning, and, and it's, it's a walk where we walk by faith. It's I believe. That is the bedrock of Christianity. Second statement. I believe is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. In our fallen nature... Listen, we are, we are incapable of trusting God on our own. Now, let me make a distinction. Because you may hear that. And you may either object or you, you, you're not even realizing this distinction needs to be made. But that's not a statement about our natural inability. That's a statement about our moral inability. And here's the distinction. In other words, Adam and Eve, when they were created before, entered into the world... And and all people who are made in the image of God, we have a a natural ability to trust God. Adam and Eve could have lived, theoretically, in trusting God. But sin messed everything up. And so now we we cannot trust God because of the fall, and we will not trust Him. We we come out of the womb not wanting to trust Him, and, and there are no exceptions to that. And so our hearts have have this, yes, God-given capacity for trusting, but they are so corrupted that they will not trust God. This is how we're born. And this is why Scripture clearly, so clearly teaches that believing faith is a gift of God. We can't gin it up ourselves. I mean, anybody can mouth the words, I believe in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, His only Son. Anybody can believe that. That's not, that's not a magical incantation. We're just saying it. It makes someone a Christian. Not at all. We can't, we can't truly believe these truths apart from God's gracious work in us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we know well, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone should boast. <coughs> so I believe it's a gift of God. Third, this is where we'll spend most of our time. I believe is the opposite of I've done. I believe is the opposite of I've done. Now, turn to Romans chapter 10. We're going to kind of be flipping between Romans 10 and Romans 3. So you can put your, put your little Apostles' Creed in one of those places and, and we can flip back and forth. But in the book of Romans, and we could go to many, many other passages in Romans and throughout Scriptures, of the New Testament in particular... Paul is repeatedly drawing this contrast of of two different ways of approaching life and thinking about life. Two different religions, we could say. Um, And so in Romans 10, verse 5, where Jim started reading earlier, he talks about a righteousness based on the law, and he contrasts that with a righteousness based on faith. And so I realize we are familiar with the word righteousness. If you go outside of the walls of church, you probably don't hear... The word righteousness used much in the public square. Uh, you might hear righteous, and it's kind of in a condescending way. Oh, you're so righteous, something like that. But, but, but it, I know it's kind of a churchy word. But, but one way of defining righteousness is it, it is it is to be acceptable to God. To be acceptable to God. And so Paul's saying there's a way of trying to relate to God, where where the fundamental creed of your life is. This, this is the thing that makes you acceptable to God, and it's this: I've done. I've done so. I've obeyed. I've I've kept the commandments. I've I've been good. I've kept the law. This is in that Jewish, very religious context, and or, or in our kind, kind of contemporary context in church. context. I go to church. I I give. I, I I'm a good person. I've been on mission trips, and so we can we can think that the the, the, the we're basing our hope on being acceptable to God upon what I've done. This is my record. This is what I've done. And now, so there's a religious version of that. And, but I would say every person, because of the fall, we, we come out with, with even, there are secular versions of this. Maybe we're not consciously thinking, I want to be acceptable to God by what I do. But we're looking for acceptability. We're looking for acceptance. We're looking for righteousness in the eyes of people or in the eyes of ourselves. Or, uh, but we're looking for that. And it's all based upon this way of thinking, way of living. I've done so you'll, there, there are some big problems with that, aren't there? And I hope that you know this. And if you don't, I'm glad you're here. Because I want to tell you. I want to fill you in. One, if, if, that's your, if that's your creed I've done, you will never feel accepted. That's one thing. More importantly, you will never be accepted by God. If that's, if that's what you're clinging to. One, you're never going to feel accepted by God or in that kind of secular way. Or anyone... If the creed of your life is, I've done, because you never actually know when you've done enough. You get that? There's always more to do. There's always more that could be done. There are always other people doing more than you. This is why so many religious people are so insecure. And you don't have to be religious, but they're, they're telling themselves, I've, I've done, I've done all of these things to make me acceptable. But deep down they know, I could have done more. I need to do more. Every other religion, every other way of, of, of approaching life is, is rooted in this. I've done acceptance from God or from whoever. It's, it's always conditional on my doing, and my doing is never, ever, ever enough. We never feel it. But more importantly than how we feel, it's not just that we feel, we don't feel accepted. That's our creed. But, but we won't actually be accepted. And turn to Romans 3, if you've got your little thing there. Romans 3, and we're going to be flipping back and forth. But Paul draws the same contrast earlier in this letter. Romans 3, verse 20. He says, He, he says, basically, no one is ever justified. Justified is that Word for declared righteous, declared acceptable to God. No one is ever declared acceptable to God, what? By works of the law. It, it just doesn't work. He's earlier in verse 10, he says, There is none righteous. And if that's not enough, no, not one. No exceptions. And so, this is the first thing I've done that just doesn't work. It doesn't save. That's the argument Paul's making. I've done, it's not Christianity. That's not our creed. Now that said, brothers and sisters, can we be honest with one another? Even as Christians, we we can be tempted to fall back into this old approach to life. Can't we? We're, we're drawn to what I've always called the performance treadmill. We, we, we feel like we, 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 our acceptance before God is based upon what we do, so we've just got to keep going, got to keep up, and I've got to do more, got to do more to, to not fall off, and to not fall away from God, to not, you know, where He's not angry at me, and I've got to perform, I've got to do, I've got to show. Uh, we feel like our standing before God is based, is conditioned upon, I've done, or I'm doing. Now, this is the beautiful thing about the grace of God. It, it, we are living under His grace whether we feel it or not. Amen? Even when we're trying to keep up on the performance treadmill, it is grace that's keeping us, not our performance. It's, 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 maybe that's how we feel, that's the experience, but that's not reality. Our status is secure and a solid weather, however we feel, or don't feel. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Back in Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 6. Uh, again, Paul is contrasting this way of living, of I done, this creed, and then he contrasts that with a righteousness based on faith. Faith. This is what righteousness. We need. This, and he goes on, th- this word of faith, he says, this is the word of faith we proclaim, and it's something entirely different than I've done. Now, in, in, in Romans 3, have to turn back there, I'm going to make you go, go crazy here, but... But Paul, Paul says that the, the righteousness of God is manifested apart from the law. It's not, I've done. That's not how His righteousness is manifested. It's, it's through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans 3.22 And so our creed doesn't begin with the words, I've done. It begins with, I believe. And those are the first words of this Apostles' Creed. <coughs> and so because sometimes... No, I realize, sometimes Christians, we we make this mistake in thinking, or we say this sometimes, you know, before Jesus came, people were saved by what they did. They were saved by obeying the law. Um, But now that Jesus has come, we're saved by grace. That's not true. That's not true. Salvation has always and only been by grace through faith, alone. And so, Paul gets his message of salvation from from the Old Testament and so he, he's, he makes it clear throughout Romans and through other letters in the New Testament that the reason the law was given and the commandments were given was not so that people could, could say I've done now God you have to accept me no it's so that we would realize I haven't done I can't do I need someone who, who, who can I need someone who has and it's I need Christ Paul says it's a, it's a tutor to lead us to Christ. And so, so in 10, you get into verse 6 through 8 of, of, of Romans 10 there. I know these verses maybe sound a little confusing at first as, as they were read earlier, and you know, this ascending to heaven, descending to the abyss. What in the world does all this mean? Basically, it's this. This is the point that he's making. This is the argument. The righteousness based on faith, or the righteousness based on faith, is based on what Christ has done, not what you do that's his point And so it's not about us ascending to heaven to bring Christ down it's not us ascending to the depths to bring Christ back from the dead no Christ has done everything already that's needed that's what he's saying he came down from heaven he lived a perfect life he died in our place rose from the dead he did it so we don't, we don't need valiant effort to be saved no verse 8 the word is near you it's in your heart, and it's, it's, in your, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. That is, this word of faith that we proclaim. It's in reach of everyone. And then he goes on, if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So belief, trust faith it's, it's the means through which what Jesus did becomes ours. We, we, get, we, we let go of our old creed, I've done. And, and we embrace this new creed, I haven't done, but Jesus did. And so I believe. That's what we're saying. And when you do that, you're justified. You're declared righteous, declared acceptable to God. And that never goes away. Now that all sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It is. I believe. But sometimes we doubt, don't we? And listen, I believe it's not incompatible with doubt in your life. It's not. You just illustrate it this way. Trust, believing. It's it's like believing a, a doctor or a surgeon. You're, you're sick, you've got a problem, you need to see a surgeon... And so you're, you're trusting yourself to their care. You're, 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 you're accepting their diagnosis. You are putting your life in their hands, humanly speaking, when you go to that doctor and you say, alright, I'm going to be out. I'm just trusting you. Now is it possible to trust your physical health to your doctor and still say, I'm scared. I don't know if this is all going to work out. But I'm not going to act out of those doubts. I'm I'm all in with you doctor of course it is now that's a very flawed illustration so don't pick it apart please but I hope you can see the, the, the simple point and it's this is when you say I believe I believe in God the Father I believe in Christ the Son and Jesus Christ his only Son our Lord I believe in the Holy Spirit you're not saying I never have any doubts I'm never afraid you're saying this is my hope <laughs> I'm all in uh, my confidence is there. It's, it's outside of me. I'm, I'm trusting you today, even though I may have these internal doubts. That's, that's what you're saying. Listen, this pastor knows this, brothers and sisters. Let me put my cards out here. I, I have awkward moments with God, just like you do. I have times when I feel this tension when I'm reading God's glorious promises and I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that I'm struggling to actually believe them. You there sometimes? Or when I'm reading his commands, these, these gracious ethical guardrails that God has, has given us and, and, and they're for our good in Scripture, and I see how much my life falls short of them. How frequently I disobey. I feel this, this dissonance when I'm sitting there with my Bible and I'm a pastor. The degree on my wall says, I am a master of divinity, whatever in the world that means. And yet there are times when I'm reluctant to pray. <laughs> because there's this feeling and, it's, and this feeling is based on zero facts. Zero facts whatsoever. But there's this feeling that somehow God is disappointed in me or God is distant from me. He's angry at me. I I get it. It, But in those wrestlings by God's grace, I can look outside of myself and, and confess what is objectively true. I believe. I trust you. That's my hope, that's my safety, that's my assurance, that's my rest, that's my help. I, I, I know the, the, the church and this modern evangelicalism and the, and the church today, I think it's infected with this disease that's so focused on us, on the interior of the Christian life. Where our eyes are drawn inward, we look inside to, to, to make sure God is good with me. Looking inside, we think that it's in our experience or how on fire I am for God or how I feel or what I'm doing and we're looking at us, but biblical Christianity is looking outward. That's what I mean when I say Christianity is creedal. It's fixated on these objective realities of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. I... I know many of you are familiar, maybe some of you have been oblivious to this, but there was a, a well-known pastor and preacher, he's my age, Joshua Harris, who wrote, he's written several books, and, and he uh, he essentially would say he's defected from the Christian faith. Um, after years of pastoring and preaching, and, and our, I mean, he's one of us. He was, he's one of us. I, that, that was a couple weeks ago when I heard that, it was a Saturday night, and it hit me hard. I was, I was dazed by, it's not because I read all his books and it wasn't like I knew him or anything, but I, his similar station in life. And, but one of, and I'm not going to try to diagnose that. Don't, don't worry. I know a lot have and I think that's foolish. But some things that I've read and some of his words, there was these growing, gnawing internal doubts that just kept eating away. It seems to be and 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 where there once seemed to be this vibrant passionate experiential walk with god that fire for god there there were there became these kind of cold embers and and it ended, it ended up doubting the very truthfulness of christianity itself now i pray for him i pray that he's a brother and he will return to his first love and but 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 again i'm not i not to throw any mud or anything I, he was—he was a guy I looked up to. There's, I mean, I heard him preach at conferences. I listened to him sermons online. This—he was kind of the poster child for this experiential Christianity. He had it, he, and and now he's shipwrecked. And so, so I I, I see that, and I, I'm thinking, and and maybe this is you, and you're, you're you you you're struggling and you're, and, you're, and you're thinking, man, I used to have this fire for God. It used to, it used to be so warm and, and quiet times were amazing and going to church was just magical and now it's not there. And you may be tempted to doubt the truthfulness of Christianity. I would just appeal to you, brothers and sisters, the focus of our lives, it, it's not in here. I'm not trying to gen that up again. It's, 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 we're looking externally to the objective realities that are true. It's not, I believe. It's not, I've done It's I believe. Brothers and sisters, if there's very little sense of God's favor for you, of God's acceptance of you, and you you feel very little of that today, just listen to what Paul calls this word of faith. Word of faith proclaimed to you today. You don't have to go up to heaven to bring Christ down. You don't have to go to the abyss to bring him up. Christ has already done everything necessary to accomplish your salvation and to keep it secure so that you can, can, can be accepted by God through faith. So build your life, not, not on I've done, build your life on I believe. That's what Christ has done. And fourth, and I can't even, we can't linger here. Well, maybe the, the reason that we'll be doing this series I'll have to push to next week, but I'll just say this. When we say, when this is the creed of our life, I believe it changes everything. It changes everything. I mean, just I just just thinking as I've been meditating on Romans ten, Romans three in particular. I mean, one of the things you see humility. Where does where does it go in Romans three? Where then is the boasting? It's excluded. I mean, the more we understand how secure we are in God, because not of what we've done, because of what Christ has done, and by faith, that, then we're going to be far less full of ourselves. Obedience. I mean, he goes on. Does, does does faith in overthrow the law? And he says, by no means. That's crazy. Faith upholds the law. I mean, I know we get tripped up on those questions. Man, if we emphasize grace too much, and, you know, nobody's... There, what's going to be the incentive to obey? That's the most ludicrous question. And Paul says it. I mean, he essentially says, that's, what you, that's crazy. The more we get that it's I believe and not I've done, the more we're compelled to love, follow, and obey this gracious, benevolent Lord who has this perfect track record of faithfulness. It's, it's glorious. And so, and then the other thing, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on this next week, is, is that it affects Christian community. And in both of these contexts, and in, throughout this letter, and so many other letters, you, he's applying it to this Jewish Gentile rub. And, and when we get grace, when, when, when our community is based upon I believe, not I've done, there, it enables us to have this radically inclusive community and closeness across all of the things that might divide us. And it's beautiful. And so let me, let me pray. Father, I thank you for... I thank you for the work that is done. Again, we say in doxology and praise to you, Father. Lord, from you and and to you and through you are all things. To you be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen.